so the second second part of our Titus study, and I'm going to put on my glasses so I can see. So anyway, last week we talked about the beginning of Titus and who wrote it and who it was to and where they were and all those kinds of things. So we have um, that it was, Paul wrote it and that it was to Titus, who was in Crete, who was going to set up the church there. Um, these were instructions as to how to get the church going. And, and, and I, something that I read was that this was a very Paul thing to do. This is how Paul structured the churches. This is what he did with all of them, wherever they might have been. <clears throat> so, um, but I wanted to go back and relit. We just didn't talk about how great the beginning of Titus is um, and what Paul says and the, and the description he gives himself. So he says in Titus 1.1, Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. That's an important phrase. Let's remember that as we move forward through the book of Titus. This truth that leads us to godliness, this knowledge of the truth, because what are we gaining right now? Knowledge of the truth. Okay. So, we have this, uh, uh, so verse 2 says, A faith and knowledge resting in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So through Jesus, he, he brought that word to light. Okay, and he especially did that to Paul after Jesus was gone when he um, met him on that road to Damascus. So we know that. All right, we're going to jump right in. So Titus was left in Crete to straighten out what was left unfinished and to appoint elders in every town. That's what verse 5 tells us. So that brings us to the question of what are elders? And I think a lot of people probably wonder that. Because not every church calls them elders. Um, if you are um, at our church at St. Paul, you would think, well, we don't even have elders. And I had to ask that question myself. But we do. And our elders are Shane, um, John, and Buddy Cooper. So those are our three acting elders. And though we don't really call them that, okay? And there are some churches that do actually call them elders. Um, and bishops and what and St. Paul has a bishop. The Methodist Church has bishops and, and whatnot that go through. So but um and let me give you a definition of what elders are. Okay. This is if you care about this, Biblehub.com is an excellent resource. Okay. Um because you can just put in and I actually go through it from Google. So I so this is what I did to get this word. I said Word, Greek word for elders and Titus 1.6. And it'll take you to Bible Hub. That'll be one of your choices. There are probably a lot of other choices, but Bible Hub will be near the top of the list. And you can go and look and do some digging as to what that word meant in the Greek. And I find that to be helpful because our language is just not as colorful, to be quite honest. English is not mm, as, as deep and as moody and as emotional as some of these Greek words. So, because we say, oh, an elder. What does that mean? We don't know. Um, so, we have this word 
that that doesn't really mean much to us. We just think of somebody old, to be quite honest. Isn't that what we think of when we say elder? Um, so, but in the Greek, this is what elder, elder means. And if you care about the Strong's number, um, it's 4245. And Strong's is a concordance that will list every word in the Bible. And it will go through, and it's given a number, and it will go through and list under that number everywhere that it is used. And it's really helpful, too, because it can tell you, oh, here in Titus 1.6, elder means this. But it also means this in... Second Timothy, and it means this in First Timothy, and it means this somewhere else. So it's really cool to kind of see where those words are the same so that you can see where they are used in context in other places to kind of give you a better idea of what things mean. But here is what elder is. It's presbyteros, and I might be saying that word wrong, but it is a mature man having seasoned justice, um, judgment. Judgment. It does not necessarily mean that they're old. They're just a mature Christian is what we should say, okay? So, those who presided over the assemblies. So, those were the people that were presiding over the assemblies. So, that's why it was really helpful and why Paul said, hey, Titus, you got to get this set up. They have to be there to lead. And another word that is sometimes used is steward. They have to be there to kind of manage what's going on, Okay. So keep that in mind as we read a little bit further, okay? So verse 6, it says, An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. I guess I couldn't be an elder. No, I'm just kidding. That's not really what that means either. So I just thought it'd be helpful for us to go through and see what these words mean. Okay. And wait, let me back up. Let me tell you something else. So this church leadership, Paul is about to give some really specific qualifications, some really good things that he thinks should follow that they should follow that they should make a list now i'm not saying although it would be funny and it might make shane and john real nervous it's not like we're going to get out a checklist and look at our own pastors and leaders and say well let's see how they measure up that's not what this i mean you can I, uh, they probably should have done that before they asked them to be our leaders and i'm sure that they did um but Paul is giving this letter, giving this, in this letter, he is giving these qualifications into the really character of these people, these men, and they were men, these men that were about to be chosen or asked. And I feel like they're probably, they were probably being called by God. And Titus was kind of the person that went in and said, hey, I think it's you. Probably God had already kind of spoken with them and was working on their heart themselves, okay? We're just going to assume that, all right? So that this probably wasn't coming out of the blue, like, who, me? I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do here. Um, these were probably people that were probably already pretty involved and helpful in the church that was there, okay? So this is the church leadership. And so shouldn't the character of these men be something that we should look at? Yes, I think especially now, and not especially now, it's been, 
as long as there's been televangelism and pastors have had the ability to reach more people and um, kind of um, take in more money um, with their tithes, um, I think that you can get a clear picture of how this can be an issue. <laughs> the character might be an issue. Um, because even recently, all the things that have, that have that are going on with Hillsong, and and that pastor there, and I can't even remember his name, but um, but that's kind of what the what what you're trying to get away from. That's what we're trying to avoid is having these issues. Um, so so shouldn't the character of our leaders be something we want for ourselves? And I got to thinking about it. So what is this? What does this mean? So when we think about the church. And when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, you know, the church, when it's referred to in the Bible, it's not referring to a specific church like this church in Crete. It's not re just referring to that. Just like it's not really referring when we say, hey, I'm going to church. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to St. Paul. Okay. It's not mentioned like that. The church here is the body of believers. Okay, and what are the body of believers? We're the body of Christ. Um, the church is the body of Christ, and so who is the head of this church? The body of Christ. Who is the head of it? Christ. So Jesus is the head of the church. Let that sink in for a minute. That is the model of what the leadership of the church should look like. It should look like Jesus. Okay? He's given us this method and this way to live. He walked on earth and showed us the best way to deal with people. I mean, look at how Jesus called people out. Look at how he looked at the Pharisees and all the priests and whatnot and said, hey, you, that's not right. This is not what my father meant. That's not what it's supposed to be, okay? So look at how Jesus led with love, how he encouraged people, how he drew them in, how he met them where they were. He wasn't just about the Pharisees and the right people, right? He was about the people that needed him the most, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, um, these destitute women and, and children, the, the widows and the orphans that we're supposed to be taking care of. So that's how Jesus lived, and that's how he Led. Um, if you want to look up some verses specific to that, uh, Ephesians 1.22 is really good, and also Col Colossians 1.18. But I want us to really look at to, into Ephesians 4. So Ephesians 1 through 16 is an excellent passage, and I'm probably going to come back to that in, a, in another lesson. But I want us to look right now at verse 15 and 16. So this is Ephesians 4. 15 and 16. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and builds itself up in love and each part and each part does its work. So we see that Christ is there being that leader and being what it is, okay? That's what we're seeing there. So that's why the elders and the qualifications are so important. That's why we really need to look at their character, okay? So blameless, let's look into that. Blameless does not mean perfect. 
we want to f- say the word blameless and think perfect. The because uh, y'all, I'm telling you, I looked up every single one of these words on Bible Hub. Okay, I looked in the concordance, and and different translations will say different words, right? So, but blameless means unaccused, not perfect. Does not mean perfect by any sense. Um, but here is uh, there were some really good um, things. And I highly recommend, okay, I always start with my NIV. So somebody asked this last week. I always start with my NIV. And then I kind of dig around because NIV is what I grew up with and that's where I'm comfortable, okay? But then I kind of started looking other and other translations. So this book, Bible, is called the MacArthur Study Bible. And it's a New American Standard Version. This Bible is so good. These notes down here, are amazing. They're so, so very good. I highly recommend it. But the note that he has in here is um, there were the spiritual, mature spiritual leaders of the church, also known as bishops or overseers, and um, pastors were to care for each city's congregation. So there's more about the elders and what they do. So above reproach, which also means blameless, does not refer to sinless perfection. To, but to a personal life that is beyond legitimate accusation and public scandal. It is a general and primary requirement of spiritual leaders that is re- repeated. Okay? It's repeated. We see this over and over again, that they are to be blameless. And I just don't think we really understand what that word means. So this other book that I have been referencing a lot and who really is really good too, it's called Zealous for Good Works by Todd Wilson. Um, so irreproach, he says on page 52 and 53, that above reproach, this means to be free from accusation, literally not able to be reproached either from those within or outside the church. Really? Look at that. Inside or outside the church. Okay. Because being a pastor is a public role. It's necessary then that not only the church, but also the community be able to speak well of the character of the leadership of the church. How might your church's effort to advance the gospel in your community suffer if you were to put in a leadership position someone with a poor reputation? You see? See how that all might connect? So, we see that. That's why that's important. I'm probably going to come back to that too. Um, oh, I know I will sometimes in the, over the week, but it might come back in <laughs> in a few minutes. So that's what that blameless means, okay? Husband of one wife. Just what it says. That means just what it says, okay? Sometimes people want to make this a controversial topic. Well, I guess the Bible these days really is controversial, isn't it? That these, you know, people want to make us and the and Christians and evangelicals sound nutty because we have these words and these requirements of our leaders that say they need to be blameless and that they need to be the husband of only one wife. Now, that can mean a lot of different things. Clearly, it, you would think that it means that we <laughs> don't have multiple wives, no sister wives hanging out in the leadership of the church. Um, I can't imagine, I can't
can't imagine, although, you know, as a wife, it might be easier to pass off some of those other responsibilities. Like, I just don't feel like cooking dinner tonight. I'm not going to do it. Your turn. Tag. You're it. It's not what we're looking for in the, in the leadership of church. Okay. So we have that. And, but it really here means faithful to your wife. Faithful to the one wife you have. Not a womanizer, not getting out and, you know, hitting up the clubs and flirting with all the cute young women. That's not what it means. Is that really what you would want in your leader and your pastor? Is that what we want? Is that what we're going to search for? Mm-mm. No, that's not what we want at all. So probably I'm going to come back to that in a minute too. So also it says a man whose children believe and are not open to the change of being wild or dis- disobedient. So I think that that goes back to the home and what the relationship of the elder would be in his own household. How are they with their family? What kind of relationships do they have? Are they sweet? Are they kind? Do people talk about, oh, Lord, they really fight. Oh, I heard them screaming, which if you drive by my house, you will hear screaming. It's usually not me and Jim to each other. It's usually us to our children, which gets back into that wild and disobedience, right? Um, no, I'm kidding. The Trotter boys are angels. Um, so, but here, it, it kind of really just kind of comes back to their their role at home and how they live at home. And I kept being reminded in Matthew, I think it's in chapter 10, where it says, "Yet your ye- let your yes be yes and your no be no. You are that person. Whatever you say yes to, you need to go on and be that, right? You need to do that, okay? So they're going to be also, uh, here, see, here in Ephesians, I need to go back in here into Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. I'm, I'm not going to read all of this to you guys because that's a lot. Um, but this is excellent. Chapter 5 is excellent in, in Ephesians. But we start in chapter in verse 21 where it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I'm going to start reading and you all are going to go, Oh my gosh, she's saying that for real. So, Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It really says that, and that's what it means. Let's not be confused, okay? That does not mean we're less than. Does not mean that we're less than. But we, as much as women want to get upset in this in this verse about submitting to our husbands, the real issue and the real not issue, but the real serious things come on the man. Come on your husband, the leader of your household, okay? So feel sorry for them, okay? Because they, they've got some big responsibilities because this is what it says. Okay, for verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Don't be upset. Here we go. Husbands love your wives. Here's here's the important part. Just as Christ loved 
the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in this same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. You guys, that's what that means. Husband of one wife. And so how is he going to treat them? Well, if he treats his wife the way that... (laughs) God intended to be us to be treated or wives to be treated, we're not going to have an issue with, is he faithful? We're not going to have an issue with him being running around and philandering, hitting on women. Okay. We're not going to have that issue if he's truly being the husband that he needs to be at home. And if he's the husband that he needs to be at home, then he can be the elder and the leader at the church. There's that comparison. Right? Right? It makes us want to look and say, well, how's that going? It makes us want to get all up in our business, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Shane and John, I'm sorry. But not really. Okay. Um, so, There's that. That was my favorite part of all the things I studied yesterday, was making this connection between the head of the church, who is Christ, and the head of these earthly churches, where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be led and and how we're supposed to grow, okay? So here is, um, so children, the next line is about your children. Well, so in Ephesians, it also says, so six, go into chapter six. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is in the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Here again, here's this this picture and these instructions into how we are to raise our children. So helpful. So helpful. And I'm going to tell you, I mean, it's hard. I mean, I've got four boys. It's hard. I got, I got virtual school going on behind that door over here. I said, don't bother me. Mama's busy. That's what I just told them. So, I mean, who knows how it's going in the second grade and seventh grade out in the kitchen? Tenth grade should be fine. No, we just don't even talk about eleventh grade. But I mean, it's hard. This is hard. It's hard to raise your children up to not be rebellious and disobedient. And no kids are perfect, and we can't, we can't expect them to be perfect. But what we can expect is for us to try and us to pray for them and us to lead by example at home. Okay? So that's what this is referring to with these elders is lead like this live like this, then you can lead like this. Okay. Y'all get in, get in Ephesians, get back in Ephesians. Okay. So we see all this. Now we're going to move on to verse seven. 
Go back to Titus. Oh, and I lost my place. Oh, no, there it is. Um, back to Titus. Verse 7. Since an overseer, well, Emily, what's the word for overseer? You just talked about elders. It's the same word. These two words are used interchangeably, okay? And they also mean pastor. I, I love the way that the New American Standard and the ESV says it, it calls it a steward. And what's the word steward mean? It means manager of a household. That's pretty good. They're, they're in charge of God's house here on earth. So they're the steward and they're the overseer. Guess what else that means? That they are kind of the shepherd of us. Um, I wanted to look, I looked up that word too, if you want to know what that word is. Overseer is 1985 in the Strong's Concordance. And Greek, I, I apologize for the way I butcher the Greek language. Episkopos, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, is used with reference to the supervising function exercised by an elder of a church or congregation, a man called by God to literally keep an eye on his flock, to provide personalized care and protection, to keep an eye on his flock. Here again, what great importance is God giving our church leaders? They're so important. It's so important that we get this personalized care and protection. That's why they're there, to, to take care of us. Right? Right. That's why it's important that you look at their character. That's why this is spelled out. That's why this is so very important. Don't you want to be able to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm struggling with this and I'm upset about this and then, and then be of the character that you would trust what their advice means, that you would even want to go to them for advice and that you could trust that they have your best interest at heart? Isn't that so important? So important, so important. Know your pastors, know your elders. Now they don't have time. I mean, there are a lot of us at St. Paul. There really are. We're not all gonna get that one-on-one -on -one time. Have y'all seen the movie um, Horton Hears a Who? the cartoon one? Um, Steve Carell is the voice of the mayor of, of Whoville. And, um, sorry. No, I don't want to do that. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, so Steve Carell has, what is it, 99 daughters and one son named Jojo. And so they sit in the, um, they're sitting in, in part of this movie, they're sitting and they're going through. And so he gets like, I don't know, 45 seconds with each child. And they get, oh, he got, but he spends more time with Jojo because Jojo is his son. And I mean, he's in the oldest and he's supposed to be next in line to be mayor. But, and the girls behind Jojo said, no fair, why does he get more time? Why does he get more time than we do? But it's gonna be a little bit like that, okay? We're gonna get 45 seconds with our pastors, 45. If you've got a big church, you're gonna get just a few seconds, right? <laughs> I don't know the answer to this, but I do know that if you go, that wherever you go to church, part of that feeling of belonging there and wanting to go and wanting to show up and wanting to go and have that fellowship and that and that being part of worship and that corporate worship of learning and singing and praising and worshiping God part of that is 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 you feeling included and you feeling known and seen about right 
Now, we have, there are other staff members that we have that they kind of, to help, to help see about us, right? Yeah. I mean, they help. That's why they're there too. They've been given this role that they can see about us and check on us, right? Yeah. So important, you guys. So important. So important. So, now, he's talked about these overseer. He's talked about elders. We've learned what they're not supposed to be. Okay? We're going to hear some more no's. Okay? So, they're not here. Blameless again. We hear the word blameless. They got to they gotta look good on paper for sure. Okay? Then not overbearing, which means arrogant. Not supposed to be arrogant. Not quick-tempered. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent. Not greedy for their own gain. My NIV said dishonest. Not those things. Verse 8 gets into what they should be like. So we know that they're supposed to be blameless. And by being and by getting to that blameless beyond reproach, we that you get that way by not being arrogant, quick tempered, not not given to drunkenness, not violent, not greedy for 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 your own personal gain. Verse eight goes into what an elder should be, that they should be hospitable, which literally means loving strangers, welcoming. Come on in. What I just was talking about, right? They're supposed to love what is good. They're supposed to be self-controlled, which means sensible and having a sound mind. Upright. They're just. Holy. They're devout. Disciplined. Also a self-control issue. So we say, Emily, okay, we see all this. We see what Paul's saying. We see that Paul is saying that this, are what, this is what they should look like. And in verse 9, he gives us the reason, right? Here's the reason. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that, here's why, he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. What sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is a faithful word. A faithful word. The sound doctrine is what the church teaches about Jesus. How to be a Christian. How to be a believer. How do I follow? What does this mean? The elder and the leadership of our church should know this, and they should know it so well that they can correct that they can share, that they can teach, and that they can shepherd us. Here's the shepherd again. They can shepherd us in the way we need to go. Right? Right. Because if they don't know it, how are they going to teach us? How are we going to learn? Because we can't just be wandering around out here on our own. We need help. Clearly, we all need help. Right? Okay. That's why they got to have sound doctrine. And so last, and then we talked about last week so when you get in so there's chapter 9 chapter 10 kind of gets into a new paragraph and we talked a little bit about the Cretans okay and why do you have to know this sound doctrine verse 10 says for there are many rebellious people 
mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake and and for the sake of dishonest gain, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Verse 13 says, after this testimony is true, it says, therefore, when you see a therefore in the text, you have it makes you say, why is that there? Therefore, what's it there for? Right? So it means that therefore, okay, there are many rebellious people. That's why, so therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. The point of our elders and the overseers, our shepherds, is to keep us away from these people is to come in and say, hey, this is not right. This is not what God intended. This is not the word that he is sharing with us. It reminds me of a story. We, um, Jim and I just recently bought um, some farm, not farm, it's not a farm, property um, that is behind some that my family has owned. And Jim's, bless his heart, has been trying to do this for seven years and it's, it's finally happened. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. But we're, we're unfamiliar with it, okay? And Bo Trotter wants to get back in there. My Bo Trotter wants to get back in there. Ooh, there's lots of mud and swamps and all kinds of things, okay? All this stuff back there. And his daddy told him, this is a couple weeks ago, his daddy told him, don't go back on that side. You're going to get stuck. And why that's an issue is because we all know everybody likes to mud ride, right? I mean, some, why is that fun? Somebody explain to me, why is mud riding fun? I, I, I don't get it. Maybe it's because I'm a girl, although I think that there are girls that enjoy it as well. That's what Bo wants to do is mud ride. But Jim said, don't go back there in this because we don't have currently the machinery to be able to get you out if you get stuck, right? It's too wet and we won't be able to get you out. So, what does Bo do? He hops in and goes and does it anyway. Hmm. Normally not a big deal, but guess what? His daddy was right. His daddy was right. It's an I told you so moment for Jim to say, see? But it was also very frustrating. And it was really hard for Bo to call and say, Dad, uh, I got stuck. I'm over... Yeah, I did what I did exactly what you told me not to do. That was hard. <laughs> Great learning experience. But the other part of this story, which I think is so cool, is that when Jim went out there and after the fact, just kind of started was and he was like, well, I can't ride anything back here because I'm going to get stuck and I have to follow my own <laughs> rules here. So I'm just going to walk. So Jim is walking the property line and he's like, why is it so wet? Like, it's just water is everywhere. I thought there was a creek back here. I, what is happening? And so Jim walks up and he's following the property line 
and he comes to a place where there, the creek that we know is there, trees have fallen in front of it, whether by beavers or by weather or just their old trees or disease, whatever it is. And there have been trees that are fallen across the creek. Well, what happens is the creek on the other side no longer exists. There are no, there's no water running through that creek bed. But at this dam, makeshift dam, it is leaching out everywhere. And it is making the rest of that property right there impassable because we can't go through because there's water everywhere and it's mushy and it's swampy and I'm sure in the summer it's buggy and there are all kinds of creatures and little creepy crawlies over there. But why is that? Because something has happened to the original course of the water and that's what happens. It has made a mess. That's why we have to know the sound doctrine that's why we need our daddy to say, don't do that. Let me figure this out. Let me go back and see what's happening and see what we can do to get it the way it's supposed to be. Is it easy? No, it is not. Not easy at all. It's hard. It's a hard job. And it's hard to pay attention and to go, oh, but that looks so fun. I want to get over there and that. No, you can't. You can but it's going to be hard and painful. You're going to have to admit, oh, I did what exactly what you told me not to do. I have gone and done exactly the thing you said not to. That's hard. That's hard. But that's why we need that leadership. That's why we need the people that are looking out for us that are going to say, I got your back. I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you. You're going to know what to do. Because God has trusted me with this job. And I'm going to do what God has called me to do. So this week, guys, let's, let's pray for our leaders, especially our church leaders. Whoever your pastor is, lift them up. Whatever denomination you are. Hey, as believers, we're all in this together, right? We are. We're all in this together. And if our shepherds came together what would this world be like because it needs our voice it needs us we need to be led so that we, well so that we can go out and do what god wants us to do so that we can go out and have those good works and do what we need to do for the kingdom right right next week we're going to talk about your and I, your job, my job. It's going to get hard. It might be convicting. In fact, I hope it is because if we all get convicted and I'll do what God wants us to do, revival. That was for my Aunt Judy. Um, so let me pray for us real quick. Okay. Heavenly Father, gosh, what a privilege to dive into your word. How lucky we are to have this word so that we can read it and look at it and grow and learn things, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for that. Help us as we go through this week. In Jesus' name, amen. See y'all later.